Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 4th, the Stepmom in the Middle edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Parent Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is 90, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 5, and we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Courtney Martin, born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, but currently live in Oakland, California with my two kids, Maya and Stella, ages eight and six. Um, I'm the author of a book called Learning in Public, and I write a Substack newsletter called Examined Family. Well, welcome back, Courtney. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be back. And the last time you were here, you were talking about your book, Learning in Public. We will link to that episode in the show notes. And Learning in Public is coming out in paperback soon, right? Yes, August 22nd, and I'm so grateful that it'll be more affordable and accessible. There's kind of nothing better than an absorbing paperback, I feel like. I just left a novel out in the rain, and I insisted on reading it anyway. So it's like, (laughs) I love a paperback. Everyone loves a good paperback, so congratulations to you on that. Courtney, we're super happy to have you here. Uh, We have a listener question we want you to help us tackle. It's from a stepmom who has found herself in the middle of a housing situation. Her stepson wants to live with his mom full-time, which is a change that has deeply hurt the dad. Now our letter writer is exactly where she does not want to be, in the middle. On Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about kids fighting and finding resolutions inspired by a wonderful piece that Courtney did for her newsletter. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll get to hear if you have Slate Plus. There was a fist fight in the hallway between a few boys, and then she tells us that Miss Price basically sent these boys outside um, on the blacktop and said, like, solve it yourself. I do want to say the school has a lot of awesome restorative justice training and all the other stuff going on, so it's not like this is always the tactic, but I think she just had the instinct that, like, these kids have something in them that can resolve this and they need to have the agency to do it. The boys come back with a contract they had created about the way they were going to interact with one another, which is just like wild. If you want a weekly bonus segment from us and your other Slate faves, consider signing up for Slate Plus. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Again, that's slate.com slash mom and dad plus. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dive into our triumphs and fails from the week. We're back and we're going straight into sharing those parenting triumphs and fails we love to tell you about. Courtney, as our guest, please do us the honors of going first. Do you have a triumph or a fail? Well, I feel like my whole summer is just a series of of failures. Summer is just so hard to figure out, and ours was, like, very bumpy. I don't know if other people had that experience this year. We're weirdly starting school next week in California. Oakland oh, wow. Public schools start August 8th, yeah. so, like, I'm sliding in. I'm crawling to the finish <laughs> line here. And I actually had a moment in the car with my older daughter, Maya. She's eight. She's going to third grade. She's in the back seat, and she says, Mom, I think this year I want to try out for the cheerleading squad. Okay, so you have to know me. I was, like, a big athlete. I played basketball on the cross. I, like, have been trying to not so subtly turn her into a basketball player during COVID by making her dribble and pass with me in the driveway. And clearly this is not really worked at all. Plus, I'm like, a you know, kind of a hardcore feminist who is not sure. I, I understand cheerleading can be athletic, 
But the idea that my daughter's like first organized sports experience is going to be cheering on other people, probably majority boys, like it just doesn't sit very well with me. But I did a really good job of like taking a deep breath and being like, okay, we could consider that. Like, would you also maybe want to try out for the basketball team? You know what her answer was? No. Um, another interesting layer of this is, you know, part of learning in public is the story of the fact that my two white girls go to this black majority school. And as many people know, when you have theoretically integrating schools, you often have like after school gets super segregated or like if there's a gifted and talented, that will get super segregated. So in our case, there's no gifted and talented. But after school is this real moment where like the minority of white kids goes across the street to this like arts after school program. And my kids have done that. And the kids who stay are in the subsidized after school program, which is majority black. And that's where cheerleading happens. So I'm in this interesting moment. Like my triumph is I didn't tell her like, no, you can't try out for cheerleading. Like I'm not going to have you just like looking cute and cheering for boys. It'll be really interesting to see what happens because it's like in some like the feminist part of me is not so into it. The the part of me that's like interested in integrating spaces and being like a force for integration is like, this is good. It means like. Maya would be one of maybe like two white girls on the cheerleading squad and would be at the subsidized after school program, at least for part of the week and like actually be having a truly integrated social life. So, guys, it's just so complicated. But all I'm saying is I'm really proud that I didn't just like tell her like she couldn't try out for cheerleading. My parents definitely were of the you may not try out for cheerleading, <laughs> um, which was which is OK, because I, I would not have made a good cheerleader so uh just i had a bunch of friends that were doing it looked fun right they got to like hang out and they got to wear their uniforms at school which i also thought was very cool um like on uniform because we had uniform day i had to wear the polo they got to wear the uniform like those kind of things which turned out to not be good reasons to (laughs) to participate in a sport but i i think it's actually good because there's like this tryout thing too and so some of it is like not in your hands you know what i mean right are you saying my daughter is not good enough to make the cheerleading team, Elizabeth? Because yes. now I'm going to get competitive about <laughs> well, it. And be like, I'm just yes, saying you're going to try out and prove Elizabeth wrong. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> no, do it. Kidding. No, I'm just saying that I think like if she makes it, great, right? But there's this like gate that you don't have control over. And there's something, sometimes it's nice to have those gates because it feels like, well, I'm on the fence about this, but there's this thing that's going to make the determination that has nothing to do with me. And so you've said like, yes, you, yes, let's try out. This is what you want to do. So if she makes it, you're like, well, great. She made this team, right? And Mm -hmm. we can be so excited for her in that. But if she doesn't make it, you're not the one who said no, even if that's that's the thing you wanted to have happened. I don't know. It feels like it's kind of a weird. The only hitch with what you just said is you get to be so excited. I'll have to figure out if I can be excited. Yeah, you don't think you can just be excited that she got something she wants? I don't I feel like a huge part of... Uh, I wish I was a better person, Elizabeth. Part of me feels like I'm just going to be like, really? You're going to like wear this cute costume and I'm going to drive you to like cheer on the basketball team? Like this is I'm I'm like really being vulnerable here about like my worst, least supportive self. But I I am going to have to like get on board. I don't know. Jamila, what do you think? Do you think I'm a monster for not being more excited? You're not. And I would grapple with this, too. Um, I have a friend whose daughter does cheer and I've been kind of like bracing myself for my daughter to be like, me too, you know, because I'm like, I don't know how into that I would be, but I realized a big part of that is my selfish POV, which is I'd rather watch you 
play the sport, you know, playing. I want somebody to cheer for you. You know what I mean? I want you to be the central attraction. But I will say cheerleading is damn hard work. You know, it is a true team sport. The girls, you know, and and other kids that participate learn so much from it. You know, Um, I think it can get yucky and weird when you get a little older, you know, Um, on the adult level, professional cheerleaders making pennies and being sexually harassed. Um, even in high school, just kind of social pressure around cheerleaders and football players. And what does this mean? You know, are you going to be respected or are you treated as like a jocks thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at a very small age, you know, parents can be impactful. You know, you can speak up about things that don't feel right, that feel like you're going into this. The girls are just here to make the, you know, day shinier for the boys. You can challenge that. And again, they just do so much on their own. It's such, you know incredible gymnastics worth that I do think it is worth the little girl's time. Yeah. Wow. You just took me on a journey. I was like, yes, this is why I'm so against this. And then you came back and I was like, you're right. It's just, she's eight. It's fine. And that it'll be fine. That is parenting encapsulated. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you all for your support on this. I'll keep you posted. What about you, Elizabeth? Uh, Well, I also have like a, just like parenting fail but also then like sort of is the life lesson we want to teach them i don't know so we we went to glacier national park which was very far um from everything it's far from colorado springs but we drove and part of the reason we wanted to drive was like to see some of these other places out west that we might not be able to see we wanted to go to craters of the moon national park which is like legit in the middle of nowhere <laughs> like you you have to Sounds drive out like it. um and it's it's like volcanic the kids had a great time you can crawl around in these old lava tubes and just like to understand that there was a pretty recent volcano in the united states like they trained for moon missions there like super cool we um went to this experimental breeder reactor, which is like a nuclear reactor from the 1950s, where they actually basically discovered that you can create more nuclear fuel than you consume in energy production. If you don't know what that means, I don't either. Jeff wrote that out for me because I went, visited, (laughs) still I'm confused. Uh, (laughs) I think one of the three kids grasped it, so that was great. But just like having all these experiences, and part of that was we stopped in Butte, Montana, which is a huge mining town. Sometimes when we stop these places, we don't really have a plan. So we kind of grabbed the brochure and it was like, hey, you can pay $2 to go see this open pit mine. And we're like, all right. So we go, we pay our $2 and um, you walk through this like glowing white tunnel and you you come out and the pit is completely full of water. And there's like, it's like blue, like turquoisey blue. And then these huge yellow like looks like mountains but are the side of the open pit mine and there is nothing there are no birds there are no animals there are like a huge barbed wire fence like do not go here and there's a couple little signs and they talk about like hey the the water is super acidic and there's all these heavy metals in it so we're there and the kids are asking all of these questions like why aren't birds landing here like this is a big thing of water why why isn't this happening And we don't really have the answer. So when we get back to the car, we are Googling and I find this podcast called The Richest Hill that's like about Butte, Montana. And so for the rest of this trip, we are listening to this podcast about Butte, Montana and how it is like North America's largest Superfund site because the mining activity, (laughs) like in 1982, they turned off the pumps 
in the mining, which flooded like thousands of miles of tunnels that are underneath, including the pit. Well, the pit now is gotten so high that had they not done something, uh, next year it would have run into the groundwater. Um, and the groundwater here is already a huge problem. This pit is is so acidic that like <laughs> a group of Canadian geese landed on it and like thousands of them died um, almost oh, no. instantly. Yeah. Um, there's all these articles <laughs> if you Google it. So I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, we took time out of our vacation to take our kids to this super fun site. And now we have to like explain to them all this whole big situation, right? Which is that this is a huge copper mine. And in fact, right next to this, oh, this pit that's filling, there is a new pit where they are mining copper. You know, and the kids are like, well, why don't we just stop mining? You know, like, why are we mining like this? And it's like, well, if you want to use a cell phone, you need copper. If you want to run your car, you need copper, right? So like looking, we were looking up things that copper were in. We were, you know, they were like, okay, well, why do we have to do it here? It's like, okay, let's look up the other places. Like, yes, it's happening in other places. And we're also destroying the environment and things there, you know, but having these kind of larger conversations about that, like things are not so easy, well, I'm just so impressed with the the like systemic literacy that you helped them gather from all of that. That's like what I'm hearing is you holding all of that complexity, both like the moral complexity that there's like no, no simple, perfect action to be a moral person and like a neoliberal, <laughs> you know, like terrible environmental economy, but also just that you like held all the complexity and you let them keep like peeling back the layers through their questions. To me, that's like... A huge triumph. That's it, it, really it's hard. It's definitely a do. triumph, but it's hard when they're, you know, laying in bed and like, well, are we destroying the whole world? You know, and it's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Good you night, children. <laughs> Good night, children. Sleep well. Enjoy your iPads. <laughs> exactly. Use those copper. You know how we saw that mine? Would you like your iPad? <laughs> yeah. And I also think it's so great that when you all travel, your kids learn so much. You know, like you really do educational trips, you know, whether that was your intention or not. And I think that's so dope. Like, that's really good. Most kids, it's like, let's see grandma and grandpa. There might be a super fun site near grandma and grandpa. <laughs> you can go <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, if you're interested in this, though, seriously, The Richest Hill is is really interesting, particularly the first five episodes that kind of just talk about how how we got such a huge copper mine into a pit. Like, I just found that thoroughly fascinating as something I had not really given much thought to. So, anyway. Jamila, how was your week? <laughs> my week was fine. Um, so, my fail is not a tremendous fail, but I did manage to ruin a little bit of a surprise. Well, a big surprise um, for Naima. So... Beyonce's new album came out on Friday and about a week before it dropped, I I think on TikTok or somewhere, she released like the list of songwriters, you know, and my friend saw it and he sends it to me like, is this Naima's dad? And so I uh, listed as a songwriter for one of the songs. Yeah. And so I hit him immediately. I mean, he has a pretty distinct name. I'm like, bro, this is you. And I've never mentioned this before, but Naima's dad, or I, I, maybe, I, maybe I have in the past, but Naima's dad is a rapper and producer. So he makes music. 
in addition to having a regular job, which I've always respected and thought that was really great that he was able to balance, you know, his passion and, you know, make money doing it because he's signed to a record label, but while still having, you know, a job and like being realistic about, you know, music and all that stuff. And so I was like, is this you? And he's like, yeah, but like, there was a lot going on. So like, we didn't get to talk about it and I didn't ask any other questions. And I was like, wow, it's amazing. You know? Um, and so fast forward a couple of days, Naima's back with me and we're going to the movies and I'm like, so Beyonce, right? That's crazy. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, your dad. And she's like, huh? And then it occurs to me that he had not told her. Oh, no. And so she was like, wait. And I was like, uh. And she was like, well, daddy told me that he was working on a song with somebody that was top secret and he couldn't tell me who it was. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, pretend I didn't say anything. So I did ruin the surprise for Naima a little bit that her dad was on the Beyonce album, but she was still very excited, you know, because he didn't say anything. She was with him. So I was like, well, he'll tell her, you know, like he knows I know it's been released. This is not a secret anymore, you know, but he waited until the album like came out and, you know, you posted about it and stuff. And it was still very exciting, very happy and proud for him. And of course, it's huge for Naima. You can hear his voice on the record, you know, Um, so super cool moment. Naima's a huge huge Beyonce fans so like to combine Beyonce and daddy Your is dad. just too much to handle this is unbelievable wait was he mad that you had told her was he planning to like <laughs> reveal it in a certain way I don't know he didn't say anything to me I don't think he was upset there was a lot going on he lost his father-in-law this week um oh. last week so that was more of a focus for everyone I think than you know the big exciting news but um I think he was just planning on telling her like when it was out as opposed to me like a week later be like so you know or a week before but um Either way, you know, he seems very happy and excited about it. And so does Naima. So it all worked out well. Oh, my God. I am, like, freaking out. Which track is it? Cozy, the second (gasps) song. That's everybody's favorite song. I know. It's crazy, right? Oh, my God. That's amazing. That is wild. I also love when you tell the story, you're like, so then I was like, hey, like, I saw your name on this, like, you did this, and then we didn't talk about it much, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I would have just been, like, (laughs) freaking out telling everybody if I had ever procreated with someone who worked with Beyonce. (laughs) I would be, like, freaking out. I am so impressed. You know, we dated when he was a struggling artist, if you will, and, you know... I've dated a lot of starving artists, so it's very nice to see somebody, like, really do the thing. Yeah. You know, I'm very proud of him. That's amazing. That's amazing. I do feel like he shares the blame with you because a little text being like, I haven't told Naima yet, right? Like, yeah. That would have helped. That would have helped. <laughs> you know? Like, hey, you obviously know. You have this great relationship. It might come yeah. up. I, you know? Yeah. I, so I don't feel that you should shoulder the entire <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, or when you guys on, chatted but... about it, when you guys chatted about it, he could have said like, "Hey, just so you know, I want to tell her." So yeah, I want to be the one to tell her, or I haven't yeah. told her yet, or she doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh my god! I I'm also now thinking about all the kids who are going to think Naima's lying because I feel like that's the kind of lie <laughs> that like you go to school and you're like, "Yeah, my dad helped produce that Beyonce track." People would be like, "Yeah," and my sure. dad like, you know, did this whatever thing that of course my dad didn't do like it just seems like too good to be true it is a classic playground tall tale for (laughs) sure 
it does sound too good to be true, but I'm sure she'll figure out school starts in two weeks. So I'm sure she'll figure out a way to make sure all the kids know. What did you do over the summer? She's like, well, oh my God. she well. should just walk onto the playground with cozy, just like blasting out yeah. of a like speaker. And just like, that's her walk on song for school this year. First day. I wouldn't be surprised if she has it has me use it as her drop-off music because they have like a little lane where like parents drive up and the you know they have ki- yeah, yeah. employees and parent volunteers like getting the kids out the car yeah. and so Naeem's got in the habit of like requesting like pull-up music she's like I want to hear Bobby Brown Tenderoni like really loud play loud I want to make sure everybody hears it so like she arrives to music Oh my so god, we walked to school, so I never music. thought about this. You can just like, play drive in your up pocket. music. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into today's listener question. We're back, so let's hop into our listener question of the day. Dear mom and dad, I'm a stepmom to a 16 year old trans male teen. I've been in his and his dad's life since he was just four. All the parents in his life have supported him through his transition, and he's just started taking testosterone. The other day, our teen's mom asked if we could get together and chat without my partner about a serious parenting issue. She wanted to talk to me first because she wasn't sure how to approach my partner. Basically, our teen no longer wants to be shuttled between homes on a weekly basis and wants his mom's house to be his primary residence. Starting testosterone is a big change, and he wants more control over his body and choices. His doctors recommended that we follow his lead and do whatever we can to make him feel safe and comfortable while going through this huge transition. I'm 100% on board with this. I'm okay with him making his own choices about where he wants to live, and I understand that this distancing is normal, healthy, and developmentally appropriate. However, my partner is deeply helped by this change. He feels like he has been supportive throughout the gender transition and has tried many times to connect and spend time with him, only to be rebuffed and rejected. He also ran his own small business, which means he worked so much and so hard to provide that he missed out on some opportunities to spend more time with his child and deepen their bond, which he now feels huge amounts of guilt and shame for. My partner and his child are very similar in that when they are hurt or feeling hurt, they shut down and get stubborn. Neither will budge because they are waiting for the other person to make the first move. I'm afraid this is going to lead to a larger and larger estrangement, and I fear I'm going to have to take the role of mediator between the two for the foreseeable future. I'm in therapy and encouraging my partner to seek out therapy as well to help cope with these painful emotions. Besides therapy, how do I best support my partner, my stepson, and myself? Any advice or insight would be extremely helpful. Courtney, what do you think? Ugh. I just like my heart breaks for this whole situation because it's so complex. And I think there are many times when I watch, for example, like my husband and my older daughter who have some similar like emotional. They're both kind of like emotional black boxes. Like you don't know what's in there and you're they're like very stoic. Like I've had all these experiences where my older daughter will look at me and she's like tears filling her eyes. But she'll be like, I'm fine. I'm okay," And I'm just like, oh, my God, you're not okay, And you're just like your father. And so like. Thinking about the two of them and their relationship and the way in which, like, it's actually much easier to be in in relationships oftentimes with someone who's unlike you because you can push back against each other emotionally and, like, one of you will be open, one of you is closed, and you can kind of, like, work with that. But I think when there are two people who are so emotionally similar, you know, I just really worry as I watch them and I think about their relationship as it, as it evolves is, like, how can they keep their dynamic open? 
Um, I think my biggest takeaway, which is not going to be particularly comforting, is just like serenity. Like they have to be on their own journey about that. And there's only so much she can do. And it does sound like she's done quite a bit to be so like kind and patient and like recommend therapy and all the things. So I guess I don't know how helpful it is. But my, like my real reaction is like, girl, you're doing a lot. And I think you've mm-hmm. had some good boundaries and I'm not sure you should do that much more. But I don't know what you guys think. That's where I came down to for her, which is like, being in the middle is a choice and she can choose not to be in the middle. And I think that she can choose not to be in the middle and still be a loving partner and be supportive and kind of be nudging him, you know, her partner. She can also be a loving stepmom at the same time and finding ways for her to connect with her stepson and being there for him, right? And providing those opportunities the partner or the stepson want to also participate in whatever she's doing without it being like, I'm going to bring you together and I'm going to negotiate that or like you need to get together. I The unfortunate news for the dad is that like, look, that whatever damage was done, whatever has happened that you weren't there, you're going to have to do the work to get it back because you've now got a teen son who is going through a lot and it's kind of not his job. Like, yes, it would be great if he also wanted this, but I would say his plate is full. And so it is your job as the adult in this relationship to to figure out how to be there in a way that he needs you to be there. And and you may have to just ask that question. And it may be that I need space and and that can be a really tough you know, option. And I think that if that's the answer, then you have to continue to present yourself like, how can I provide the love in a way that you need it? And I talk a lot about the love languages because I think we get off base because we're providing love in the way that we feel love. And to provide love to someone else is to say, how do you need it? And then provide it that way, even if it doesn't come naturally to you. And it sounds like, you know, Dad, you can come to your partner. You can come, it sounds like, to to your um, son's mom and say, are there things I can do to be helpful in this process? And I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe it's a weekly phone call. Maybe it's transportation. Maybe it's providing some physical things. Like, whatever that can be that he feels loved and feels like, I'm still here, even though you're doing all this and you haven't chosen me. It's kind of like... I feel like the dad is taking a lot of this like, well, I feel hurt. It's like it's kind of not about you at this moment. It's a, it's about this kid. And, you know, letter writer, I think you need to be there for your partner to say to work through the feeling hurt so that he doesn't necessarily have to work through that with his son and can instead focus energy on just being a loving father. Any family, you know, that does a co-parenting situation like this kind of fears that one day the child will want to be in one household, you know, over the other and, you know, that things will change. And it's not terribly surprising that a teenager, particularly one who has as much going on as this one, would want somewhere to just sit, you know, be stable without having to worry about, you know, I left my shoes, I left my homework, you know, I've got to go to this other place tonight ritualize quality time with your son. You know, that's something that should have started while you were too busy working, you know, but I think it's really important because this is really your last opportunity, you know, your husband's last opportunity to build, you know, this sort of relationship with his son that he wants because once he turns 18 and, you know, very likely moves out of his mother's house, you know, and possibly away, 
um, things will only get harder for you all to connect. But um, to the stepmom, I would just echo Courtney and Elizabeth and just say, remain, you know, empathetic and kind and being someone that, you know, these two people can turn to to talk about what's going on. And then you can help them understand each other's POV without advocating so much for the other person, but just being someone who gets all sides and can talk about all sides, I think could be really helpful. Jamil, I really liked how you said that the contact needs to be significant. Yeah, they can go grab his favorite dinner on Friday nights. You know, every Friday night, dad does school pickup. We get pizza. You know, I drop you off at your buddy's house. If that's what you're doing. But that we still have, you know, this ritual that's about us every week. Yeah, I think that's so important. I also was thinking as you were both talking that I, I read so much or I hear so much grief in this letter. Like, I just think there's a lot of grief over, like, what the dad felt like he didn't do right. And that's like a grief that he needs to deal with on his own, not like project on his kid right now. And the grief of transition, like this could be a really beautiful, liberating transition for the kid, which is awesome. But it doesn't mean it doesn't go with some grief for him and the people around him to be like, wow, this is like a big shift. And this is going to be really different than we imagined. And so I guess I just wanted to say, I think there's like a big capital G grief thing going on here too, which is not the stepmom's job to deal with, but, you know, maybe she could just have some serenity knowing that that is deeply under this whole thing. I also just want to add quickly, you know, I think it's great uh, letter writer that you've encouraged your husband to seek therapy. And I think that's something you should, you know, continue to encourage him to do. And it also may be useful for there to be some family therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, with your husband and his son. And I don't know if it would need to be the three of you or just the two of them. Perhaps the two of them would be, you know, ideal um, so that they can talk through some of their issues. And I, I would hope that your stepson is in therapy himself, considering everything that's going on, because I think that'd be very helpful and supportive for him, you know, during this period. But, you know, getting the two of them together to talk with the professional could really help if it's something that your husband would be open to doing. All right. Well, uh, stepmom mediator, we hope that this advice was helpful. If anyone else out there has ideas on how to help out, write to us. You can also send us your own parenting questions. We can be reached at momanddad at slate.com. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds bright and early on Monday. Courtney will be joining us to answer another question. And of course, we'll have recommendations. So be sure to tune in. While you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Tywell Macanjola. For Courtney Martin and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thanks for listening. All right, Slate Plus listeners, let's keep going. It's getting to the point of the summer where kids are hot and bored and maybe getting annoyed with their siblings. We've seen a few posts of the parenting group on Facebook asking for some advice on fighting, and it reminded us of this wonderful post that you wrote, Courtney, in your in your examined family newsletter about kids resolving a fight. For those who haven't read the piece, which we've linked in the show notes, could you give us a rundown of what happened? Sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have no idea what these parents are talking about, about their children fighting with each other. That's like not at all been a theme of my entire summer. Um, So the piece was really about um, 
the ways in which I notice my own inability to meet kids where they are when they're fighting and witnessing other people who are doing that more skillfully, namely my kids um, at the time, uh, second grade teacher, Miss Price, shout out Miss Price, um, who, you know, Maya comes home and tells us there's, there was a fist fight in the hallway between a few boys. And then she tells us that Miss Price basically sent these boys outside um, on the blacktop and said, like solve it yourself. I do want to say the school has a lot of awesome restorative justice training and all the other stuff going on. So it's not like this is always the tactic, but I think she just had the instinct that like these kids have something in them that can resolve this and they need to have the agency to do it. The boys come back with a contract they had created about the way they were going to interact with one another, which was just like wild. And then the other thing that happened that week was I had found this drawing. My daughter, Maya, loves to draw. And this drawing she'd done with her, it seems sort of alongside or in honor of her best friend, who is a very quiet person who like really struggles with conflict. And she had drawn these little bunnies that were interacting. And it was essentially like she had reinvented couples therapy as this like cute graphic novel where they were um, talking back and forth to each other. One scenario was, this is what I think will happen. One scenario was, this is what I want to happen. And one scenario is, this is what would happen. Like these were the ways that these best friends were like dealing with their conflict. And I was like, wow, I feel like my husband and I should like get a piece of paper and try to like draw out these three scenarios. Again, biggest takeaway is I use too many words. I'm just like words, words, words. I'm a writer. I'm very verbal. I'm always kind of going at my girls fighting with words, trying to get them to talk it through. And both of these examples help me see that the verbal approach is just so wildly ineffective sometimes and I over rely on it. Um, so curious what you guys think about that. Um, you know, do you kind of try to get your kids to talk things out, Elizabeth, or like, you know, when Naima has issues with her friends, like, you know, how do you see her inventively dealing with that? Um, kind of curious about your take on this. I, I felt inspired reading this and I, like you use way too many words. In fact, um, we use this disciplinary system that I've talked about before where we draw these good habit cards and we came up with rules and how many good habit cards there were than like page one of the book that it comes from is like you as the parent are doing one of these things and like number one is like you talk too much <laughs> you know like, like like you need to explain everything and tell them and and try to get them to like process through like do you want to have this relationship when you grow up like they do not care they are mad about something they want to resolve it they're going to resolve it by hitting each other right so uh, I feel like I am caught, like, the bad habit that I am fighting <laughs> is exactly that, that I just want to say, like, why would you do this? And when left on their own, they really do fix it themselves. And an, an example is that today Oliver forgot his book bag. I have all three at summer camp, by the way, which is, like, un- I don't I don't know that I've ever been in the house without any children. So <laughs> Oliver, who has ADHD, left his book bag. My friend always says the minivan will provide. And so in the back of the minivan, it's like I have a, <laughs> I have a little bag, I have a water bottle. But I had to ask the boys to split up their lunch. And all of them were just like a total, like, I don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up this. And I was so angry, particularly at Henry, like, because he kept saying, I'm going to be so hungry. And it's like, your brother has nothing, you know? And so I I just like stopped and I was like, okay, there was another mom there. We got him a sandwich and a bar, like between the two, like enough. Well, the camp sent me an email and said that at lunch, Henry walked over with his lunchbox and, and got him a napkin and was like, which of these things do you want? And I'm Aww. like, 
my instinct was just to be like, you are a terrible person. <laughs> like, why are you being such a terrible person? When in fact, like in that moment, he didn't want to give up the stuff because no one wants to give up half their Cheez-Its, you know, <laughs> like that's not a fun thing. But they know the right thing to do. And without me there, they may be more likely to do that. And and that's work. It's not like, like you said, it's not like this happened on their own. They're not just sending any two children off like, well, go, go work it out. But kind of trusting some of that and knowing that, like, it's in a supervised space. I don't know. Jamila, your house is, is name and never fights with anyone, right? <laughs> of course not. Um, you know, I don't have as much experience with uh, mediating conflicts for Naima because she's my only child. Um, what happens more frequently is, you know, me doing the work of helping her process something that happened at school, you know, so I get the story of the conflict between her and whichever bestie. And, you know, we talk a lot about empathy and thinking about her friend's feelings. Um, I really loved your post, Courtney. Uh, your daughter's picture is the cutest thing. <laughs> Could you believe that? It's so cute and so intelligent, you know? Like, it's just so sophisticated. This is your six-year-old? This No, this is my eight-year-old. Yeah. It's still incredibly sophisticated thinking, you know? Like, this is what I think will happen. This is what I want to happen. This is what could happen you know like we're examining all the possibilities here ultimately what i want is for you and i to say sorry to each other um also love that you linked to the rmi institute for emotional justice uh, which took me on a little journey because i hadn't caught up with esther in some years uh but i've worked with her on some stuff in the past and she's just so incredible and the work that she's done to bring the concept of emotional justice which is largely used to help understand gendered and racial harm um but it's incredibly important for kids you know i think to have a concept of emotional justice you know that like it is well with my feelings, like that we care about how I feel mm -hmm. inside. We care how other people feel inside, you know, and we're going to attend to that. And so that's essentially what I try to do with Naima, you know, that we talk a lot about feelings. We talk about our feelings. We talk about other people's feelings. We are constantly talking about feelings. And she is, Naima's very, very clear that her feelings matter. And she's really, really articulate, you know, and she'll say to me, I'm just a little girl. Hmm. You know, if she feels like I'm being too heavy handed in my, you know, criticism of her or, you know, she'll say, I'm just a child. Oh. I'm just a little girl. I love that. That's so like, sweet. I mean, we all need that reminder, right? Yeah. Sometimes that we're the adult mm -hmm. here. Elizabeth, <laughs> you're also making me think that I think one of our jobs as the parent, as always, is to like notice our own you know, so, sort of like triggers and projections. And for me, I noticed with my kids, for the, you know, parents that are thinking about sibling fighting, I was a younger sister. And so I have this extra layer of like mm. protection for my little one, Stella. And, you know, sometimes I think it's warranted because I do think you have to look out for the little sibling. And I think there are horror stories of older siblings, like really terrorizing little kids. And we kind of make fun of it. But actually, like it can cause some long term damage if little kids feel dominated all the time and like they, you know, and even worse. So I do 
I do have a little extra love for Steli sometimes in the fights between my two daughters, but I also have to like see that that's about me and my own like little sister identity. And that's like what I identify with more. And in your story, I was also thinking about it. I get caught up in like my kids being good, you know, like your thing of like be a generous person, be a kind person, be a good person. Like I can get way too into that. And I'm like, they are generally kind. And this is about me. This is about me wanting to like, you know, wear the gold star of like, I'm a good person. And I think, you know, there's race in this too, of like the good white mom who's raising a good, you know, kid. And like, yeah, that there's just a lot in there that, of course, you know, when you're in the minivan in a heightened moment of just trying to get your kids some food, it's hard to <laughs> unpack these layers. But, you know, stepping back every once in a while and being like, okay, how much of this is about my need to be seen as good or my like little sister shit that's really not about yeah. about what's happening between them. Yeah. Well, uh, Slate Plus listeners, thank you so much for your support. As always, we really appreciate you and your patronage of the show. We would love to know how your kids are resolving fights. Got any tried and true tips to keep them from breaking out in your house in the first place? Send them on over. Mom and Dad at Slate.com. Thank you again for joining us and be sure to join us on Monday for a regular show and Thursday for another bonus segment. Bye-bye.